We're doing a series of messages called um, the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the Beatitudes, and this morning we're going to be focusing on the third Beatitude, Blessed are the Meek. Now for the reading of the Word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The word I have had on my mind all week is the word rethink everything. Turn to someone around you and say, rethink everything. Say back to me, rethink everything, David. Okay. It's really important that we're always uh, thinking about our faith and rethinking what we believe and why we believe what we believe. It is very easy for religion itself, Christianity too, when it is in the hands of people who have power and influence, to use it as something to hold people down instead of lifting uh, people up. To be used as an instrument to restrain people rather than to liberate people. That's why Christianity has always been going through reform, always reforming itself. That's why it's important that we're always rethinking what we believe and what we practice and why. Just because someone wrote notes in the bottom of your Bible doesn't mean that they're true. They're interpretations. I would point out to you that if you read uh, the New Testament in Greek in some of the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, you'll notice there's no punctuation in the Greek and there is no period at the end of the Bible. So the Word of God doesn't end with the last word of the Bible. Revelation goes on. God is still speaking to us and still speaking to us now. So we always have to be rethinking, what does the gospel mean for you and for me today? One of the authors that's really uh, blessed me, and I picked up this book this last week and started reading through it. I'd never read it. I'd heard of it. It's written by Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman wrote this book in 1949. It's called Jesus and the Disinherited. And you get a pretty good idea from the title what the book is about. He was an African-American preacher writing a book called Jesus and the Disinherited in the late 40s. This book is written all about how it was and how it is that sometimes the church can live heavenly-minded but not focused on what we can do in this world to change people's real lives and how sometimes we're so focused on spiritual realities but not focused on the realities that oppress people and hold people down he's asking the question as a black man does Christianity really have anything to offer me when he lived in the south and was facing oppression and no one was ever saying anything about what was happening uh, to him and to, to, to blacks in the South at that time. And in the book, he tells a story about his grandmother. His grandmother was a slave, and they lived in Florida. And his grandmother couldn't read. She couldn't, couldn't write. And she would ask 
Howard to read the Bible to him, but she would not let him read from the letters of the Apostle Paul. He didn't know why. He said, after he grew up, went all the way to college, he came back home to visit, and he finally asked his grandmother, he said, Grandma, how come you won't let me read to you from the letters of Paul? And she said, because when I was a slave, our slave master would have his preacher come and speak to us, and he would always quote the Apostle Paul and use Paul to justify our slavery and to say that we were meant to be slaves, that it was God's will. So I don't want to hear anything from Paul. That's why it's so important to remember that sometimes religion in the hands of people of power can be used to hold people down rather than to lift people up. It was certainly true during the time of Jesus. Jesus came at a pivotal time in human history. At that time, people who were poor and left out were demonized. You were poor and left out. It's bad enough that you're poor and left out and hurting and sick and diseased, but also you are that way because of God's divine condemnation upon you. And so when Jesus showed up, his message basically was, I want you to reinterpret your faith. I want you to rethink everything. In fact, Jesus' first sermon, he went around the synagogues in Galilee preaching and teaching, and his message was, repent for the good news of the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent. And what he meant was, rethink everything. In light of this new reality, in light of God coming into the world at this moment in time, what we wish for in heaven is now becoming real on the earth. We want you to rethink everything in your faith. And so for Matthew's congregation, when they read Matthew's gospel, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing when he went on the mountain to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. He was doing just what Moses had done. Moses, before him, had gone up on the mountain and had delivered the Ten Commandments to the people. It was how they were to live their life together. And now by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, he's going up on the mountain and saying, this is what it's like to live the kingdom of God now, to be a blessing to people now. This, these are my teachings. I want you to rethink everything. That's what rabbis did. You could pick up a copy of the Talmud or the Mishnah, and there were all these various debates about how to interpret and to imply the law because religion is always in need of reforming because it often becomes oppressive instead of liberating. And so you may remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did these antitheses where he would say, you have heard it said in the law, you should not commit murder, but I say unto you. You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say unto you. So when Jesus is delivering these beatitudes, what he's doing is he's trying to get them to think differently about their faith. That religion and the religion of his people, now remember he was a Jew. They were living under an oppressive regime and he was speaking to poor people. He was talking about God's love and concern for all people. The way I want you to rethink these Beatitudes is oftentimes we spiritualize them and we turn them into inner dispositions and virtues. But I think the original intent of Jesus here, if you understand his mission and what he was about, was he was really trying to say, no, blessed are the real poor. 
Blessed are those who mourn their loss and their suffering. And blessed are the meek, and I'll say more about that in a minute. It's so important for us to remember that in the history of Christianity itself, Christianity has always needed to reform itself. You may remember that God is always rising up prophets and people to help the church rethink its mission, at times just when it was necessary. St. Francis of Assisi in the 12th century grew up very wealthy. He was a party boy. Then he went off to war and fought a war, and he was wounded, badly wounded, and became a prisoner of war. This experience was so horrifying for him, it made him rethink everything. And then at a very critical moment when his body and spirit was broken, he got a vision from God of the cross. And he heard a voice say, rebuild my church. He thought he meant a physical structure. But no, he meant, God meant something different. But he started taking bricks and started building a building with bricks, and then God said, no, no, not a, I mean my church, the institution of the church, because the church at the time was very, very corrupt. And so he then formed an order of people, gathered 4,000 people around him by the life he chose to live. He sold his possessions, he began to live a life of intentional poverty, to live simply, to work and advocate for peace, and to care and to love and to serve the poor. That's what was happening with Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer. You go to the Vatican and you see great St. Peter's. Do you know how St. Peter's was built? St. Peter's was built. They raised money to build St. Peter's off of selling indulgences. If you had a loved one die, they would be stuck in purgatory. And someone would walk around and say, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And you would give your money and it would release people from purgatory. And that money was used to fund this big project. To address some of the abuses within the church, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And that began the Protestant Reformation. And then in our own denomination, our own church, there was a man by the name of Barton Stone, who in Bourbon County, Kentucky, was convinced that Christians were divided over theology and that we just needed to be simply Christians. You see, God is always sending people to help us rethink our faith, to rethink our religion, to rethink it's what it's supposed to be. And then we know Martin Luther King Jr. Did you know that Martin Luther King Jr. walked around with a copy of Jesus disinherited in his briefcase? Dr. Howard Thurman made a big impression on him. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go read a phenomenal document. Have you ever read the letter from the Birmingham jail? Powerful document talking about how religion itself can be misguided and greatly misunderstood. You see, it is always the tendency itself of religion, the inclination always is to want to use it to hold people down rather than to lift people up, to restrain people but then to li rather than to liberate them, because we want to tame Jesus. And what ends up happening is we end up missing out on his counterintuitive, countercultural message. Now that's how I approach these, these beatitudes. These beatitudes really are countercultural and counterintuitive. While there are many ways to interpret them, not in every way is it's okay to interpret them a lot of different ways, but the way I've been interpreting them is not as virtues. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with interpreting them as virtues, okay? My point is, though, but when we interpret them as virtues, we're missing out on the real social message that Jesus had in mind in his Beatitudes. Let me give you an example now. On this third Beatitude, I'm going to give you a traditional interpretation, and then I want us to rethink it, okay? The traditional interpretation is, blessed are the meek, refers to a spiritual condition that we internalize. Now, this is a great thing. We could all benefit from this. It's the Greek word, meek, is the word praus, P-R-A-U-S. It means, essentially, gentle, humble, obedient, under control. Those are all great things. The meek is not weakness. It's basically strength under control. The idea is that it's like a horse with a bridle in his mouth that's able to control its power. You look at Jesus and you see Jesus, he descri- the only word he ever used to describe himself was meek. Meek meaning that he had power, yet he restrained his power. What this means in this traditional interpretation is how you are able to demonstrate personal mastery over yourself to restrain your impulses, your anger, and to withhold it and to discipline yourself to respond in a helpful way to another person. That's great. That's awesome. It's about having a teachable, correctable spirit. I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to learn. Now think how helpful that would be in your marriages, in your relationships, in your friendships, if you could withhold the things that you say and respond more kindly, if you weren't so concerned about being right as you were about being kind. That's the traditional interpretation. Now, you can read all through the New Testament and find all that. And I will tell you this morning, you're going to walk out and go Google it and go, well, David Emery is, everything I Googled says something, says this, not this. That's right. That's the traditional interpretation. Well, let me point out something to you. Go a little bit deeper with this. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, do you know what I think he's talking about? The truly meek. I'm not talking about spiritualizing it to truly meek. Who are the meek? The meek are those who have been beaten down in spirit by poverty. Have you ever met someone beaten down by poverty and they just can't make their way in the world? Meek. It's those who mourn. There's a lot of inclination to believe, essentially, that this word meek is a way of interpreting the first two. That meek is what happens to you when you're left out, when you're when your back is against the wall, when you have no power to choose your future, when there are forces above you that are holding you down, when you feel a sense of helplessness and the odds are against you. I had someone text me at 5 a.m. in the morning last week when I was working on this message, and the text said, David Emery, you have lied to me. Got my attention. There is no God. It's 5 a.m., I'm working on the, I don't know what to say, and I waited, and then I texted back to him. What's going on? Next text. He says, I've been trying for three years, you know, to change my life. And I can't. I just keep getting crushed by everything around me. I just can't get a break. I give up, exclamation point. That is, that is meek. I use the word forlorn, it's another word for it. 
woeful, hangdog, sorrowful, gloomy, wretched, melancholy, droopy, drowncast, dejected. It's when life has crushed you and you feel this power over you and you can't. That's what meek, I think, Jesus means here. When he says the meek shall inherit the earth, you know what he's talking to? He's talking to people who've had the land taken from them. He's talking to people who are an occupied nation. This land is going to be yours forever. But it's been taken from them now and taken again and again. He's saying, and they've been made to be servants of the Roman Empire. Meek. That's what it means. And so when Jesus stands up here and delivers this message, they knew what he was talking about because his second sermon after his other sermon was, he says, I am, I am, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor, to liberate the oppressed, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what that meant to a Jewish person? He was declaring the year of Jubilee. Look in Leviticus 25 where it says that every 50 years, there'd be the year of Jubilee would be announced and people would be set free from debts. The land would be restored to its original owners. Slaves would be liberated and set free. So Jesus is announcing the year of Jubilee and then he goes around and does it. He starts liberating people from oppressive forces, driving out demons, feeding the hungry, using his life to bless those who had been condemned and left out, left behind, given up, and who were meek. Let me ask you, who are the meek around you? I think of the father trying to provide for his family in a small town, where the factories have been closed and shipped overseas. He's lost his dignity and his hope and can't provide for his family. I think of the young couple who waited anxiously for their child to be born and then their child, their beautiful child, comes in the world and is medically fragile and it alters their whole existence and Everything they dreamed and hoped for has now changed, and it's everything they can do to meet their daughter or son's needs and to pay their medical bills, and they're going bankrupt in the process. They're just getting covered over. I think of the people, the men and women and the families that are living down under the bridge under First and Broadway who are homeless and don't have a place to live or a place to sleep indoors. I think of the person trapped in the downward spiral of an opioid addiction. I think of the individual who's suffering from some kind of mental illness and no matter what they do, they just can't shake it, they can't get rid of it, and then the family that's dealing with it. I don't know if you have anybody in your family that's mentally ill, but it can have a real sense of helplessness and powerlessness in that situation where you just want to just give up because you don't think you can change it. There's something that has control over you. And for families like this, there's just not a lot of help. And it's just this daily grind every single day where you just feel you can't change it. Or the refugee family trying to flee violence, trying to provide, trying to flee political corruption, trying to find a safe place to raise their children. The meek are all around us. The question is, what do you do? What do you do with this? With this? You know, I really believe in my heart that we're, we're not just called to be kingdom other, but kingdom here. Focused here with our life. And what do we do? How does Jesus answer? We answer it the same way that he did with his hands. 
If you look at your hands, you'll realize that when we, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and then we become His missionaries in the world. Oh, we talk about our mission as a church to embrace Louisville. Do you want to know how to bless the meek? Think about that child that's sitting in a classroom in one of our two local elementaries who's behind the other students because of a learning disability, and every day they sit there and they feel dumb and stupid and they're made fun of, and yet they come here to the church and then someone volunteers for a couple hours a week just to sit and listen and talk to a firm value. By the way, let me point out to you, we need people. We need people. That's why we're building a house this month with other people in town for a refugee family from the Sudan. That's why we're doing that work because we know and believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that the way we bless the meek and the way we rethink everything is by joining Jesus in the work that he's doing. To not take his teachings and spiritualize them, but to make them concrete and to make them real, lived out in our actions every single day. You know our mission as a church is to live out the love of Jesus by embracing people where they are. Do you know how that happens? It's not a program. It's everyone in our church having a ministry. Everyone in our church finding a place and a way to serve. Everyone finding something to do. About two months ago, a man came to see me, and we went to lunch, and he was depressed and sad and sorrowful and said, I am angry at God. He said, look around at the world. The world's a mess. And I'm just angry and sad and empty. I went to eat lunch with him two months later, and I found out something had changed. He went down with one of our volunteer groups to feed the homeless under the bridge, but he kept going back. He found out that they needed someone to clean the sidewalks before they shared the meal because they were living there and it was just dirty and stained. So he went down there with a mop bucket, a broom, and some bleach and began to clean off the area where the food would be served. Then he said the next time he went down there, he went with six buckets and six brooms. And now they call him the broom and bucket guy. This guy who had no ministry, who's angry at God, is now known as the broom and bucket guy. Nobody knows his name. When he shows up his car, opens up the back of his, his car, the people who live there come and grab the brooms and buckets and start cleaning up for themselves. He says, it's incredible. I never imagined this would happen. I thought I was going there to serve, and I'm there to work with him to clean up where they're living. He said, David, there was a guy who grabbed a broom and said, I have to clean that spot because I sat there for 40 days waiting for someone to help me get sober. And now I'm sober. And I'm going to clean that spot where I used to sit. He looked at me and he said, I'm not mad at God anymore. And he said, I'm actually embarrassed to say I'm actually happy. Why is that? Because that unsettledness in him, he listened. God was speaking to him and said, rethink everything. Rethink what's important and not important. Join me in my work. You see, these Beatitudes are an invitation to us also, to all of us. Jesus was talking to a very wealthy man. The wealthy man said, what must I do to get this abundant life you talk about? He said, sell your stuff. Come and follow me. But because we have a lot, we're invested in our comfort. And so he walked away sorrowful. 
And his disciples then said to him, who then can be saved? He said, well, with rich people, it's hard. It's hard. And they said, well, Jesus, we've given away everything to follow you. And he says, he looks at them and he says, yes, and yours is the kingdom. And then Jesus gives us the interpretive key that helps us understand everything that he is talking about. He says, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. That's how we should interpret blessed are the meek. And who is speaking to? Would you take your program guide? And I want to ask you to do something. Grab a pen. And um, see where it says who on the back? Blessed are the meek. Who? As Matt starts to play, I want you to think about who that person is for you. It could be a person or a type of person or a situation. But I bet if you think about it and you get in tune what's inside, there's somebody in your life right now who is meek, who's, who feels overpowered by something and can't lift himself up. I want you to, to actually write that name or that situation down there where it says who. Do that right now. I've already written mine down. Who? is meek around you.